All right, hello, and welcome back to the BHS Podcast. I'm your host, Cole, and today I'm joined by Muffy. How are you? Good, how are you? I'm good. So, recently in national news, there's been a new bill going around in Florida, which has been nicknamed the Don't Say Gay Bill, which basically prevents um, discussion of LGBT issues in families in public schools. It goes from, like, middle schools, high school, every school. You just, like, basically, you can't refer to gay people under the guise of, like, parental rights. So, Muffy, what do you think about this? Um... I think, like the name, it's a little silly because I think the idea that children just, like, won't know that LGBT plus people exist because, like, they don't learn about it in school. We didn't, people didn't learn about it in school for years and gay people still existed. It's not going to have any effect on them besides maybe opening their mind a little bit yeah i agree so me and muffy heard about this and we kind of wondered you know what's going on with lgbt activism at our own school because this is kind of like a very florida specific thing because currently um activists in florida are kind of struggling to block this bill and we wonder what's going on with like some organizations um like the gsa at Tree high right now like what are they doing um so we did a bit of investigative journalism on that and spoke to Ms. Gonzalez about the GSA and how it's been functioning um, since the coronavirus and since the start of this school year. So let's take a listen. In the past two years, social activism has been on the rise at BHS. Groups like the Diversity Council and Strengths and Differences have been founded in the wake of various political and social events across the country and right here in Braintree. One of the school's most long-standing community organizations has a little bit of a different story. We spoke with Ms. Gonzalves, advisor for Braintree High's GSA, about the club and its history. Um, GSA stands for Gender Sexuality Alliance. Um, the idea of it really is student-driven, so it can be anything from an, you know, a group for support of students to talk about issues that might be happening during the school day or in the community. It could be issues um, or activist type things where we get um, students on board with a particular activity, uh, whether it's a day of silence or something in recognition of the LGBT community uh, to make sure people are aware of you know, different aspects that affect students in our school. Um, GSA is a national um, organization. All schools have GSAs, including college campuses. Um, it's really important to make sure that there, especially in this community, that there's support because it's oftentimes a place where people hide um, and they don't have the support maybe at home. They don't have the support maybe in the school or anybody in their life. Um, I've been doing this for many years. Started GSA back in the early 2000s with a group of students who found a need and organized the club and we started it back then. I stepped away for a few years and um, just rejoined it just before the pandemic. While other clubs at BHS struggled in the face of coronavirus, the GSA had a different interaction. My experience, I thought that I was really gonna have a hard time during the pandemic when we went to a mode of being online, predominantly. Um, when we started hosting clubs virtually, I was really worried that potentially this club could not really happen. Um, fortunately, just before the pandemic, we had a strong group of students who continued to join the, the group virtually, and we were able to get a lot done even though um, they weren't in school. And a lot of them did opt to stay remote for the remainder of the year. And um, interestingly enough, we did a training for faculty virtually, and we were able to get some things done. So I, I was really happy about that. However, as clubs returned to being in person for the 2022 to 2023 school year, the GSA began to run into some issues. 
I find that this year, now that we're back into somewhat of a normal uh, school year where kids are here every day and doing clubs and activities, I found the challenge to be students to come regularly to the group. We started off strong with a good group of students, and then since then it's kind of um, fallen off a bit. So we're looking for new students to join allies as well as students who are looking for some support or just to come and hang out and have a community to be with. So if the GSA's lack of membership doesn't stem from the pandemic, then where does it come from? So I think the primary reason is that the group I had last year were all seniors. So through the pandemic, I wasn't able to recruit new students because it would probably be very uncomfortable to join a group such as this where you're not sure who's part of the group. Um, and I think it might have been a little intimidating for younger students to join when it was predominantly seniors last, um, last year. While students not joining could stem from last year's lack of recruitment, the GSA still runs and originally had some members at the start of this year. But as I said, the beginning of this year, um, we did have some students come. Not sure if they, it was just not what they were looking for, or if they um, wanted something different, but I think we had seniors graduate out, so we didn't have the tradition of the group, what we had done in the past, um, to carry us forward. So I was looking for another new group of kids, and I just don't think I've found them yet. So where is that group of queer students that could join together to revive the club? Ms. Gonzalez speculates that the reason GSA fell off might be due to reasons outside of the club's control. I, I do think that people have migrated for different reasons because, you know, we're not all one thing. You know, being part of the LGBTQ community is not who you are. It's just a piece of who you are. So I think we all have different identities that we have in a day. Um, so I do think people have sought out um, groups like Strengths and Differences or Diversity Council to also do the same work. Nina Lawrence, Vice President of the Strengths and Differences Club, spoke on the presence of queer members and activism in the organization. Uh, through the walk-in specifically, um, we had many posters made um, about the inclusivity of everybody at our school and how we want to increase that. Um, and that definitely included posters about the LGBTQ plus um, community. Um, and we would love to have more members part of the community. We spoke with two queer students about why they have decided to not attend the GSA and ways that they think the club could gain membership. I'm not in GSA because in freshman year when I joined, it was more informative and historical based rather than like um, a community where we could really like talk about our personal experiences like it was when I was in middle school. Just spread the word a lot more, um, do more things that would um, gain the attention of more people um, like outside the LGBTQ community, like supporters and stuff like that. So I think a lot of times a misconception is that students, um, the larger group community, people think that the GSA is just for students who are part of the LGBTQ community. But it's actually, in addition to those students, we want more allies to help spread the word and just make sure that people are treated the way they should be treated, regardless of who they are or who they love. And some things I would say that the club could do to encourage more students to join is trying to get back to that really community-centered um, group that it used to be. Um, I would love for students to come by and, you know, we can figure out what it's going to turn into because I think it's got to be the personality of the group. Uh, this is student-driven because um, I'm just the advisor. I helped with the, you know, the constructs of it, making sure that it happens, sending out meeting notices, but we want to make sure that the 
GSA really fits the needs of the people who come. For now, however, the GSA remains memberless going into the second half of the school year. It's like ineffective or anything. Like I feel like GSA does a really good job of um, representing um, the LGBTQ community and um, spreading a lot of information. I just really strongly feel that we need to have a GSA. It's an important part of our school community. It's important to keep it alive for a lot of reasons. If you are interested in joining the GSA, meetings are still held weekly in the guidance suite at 2.15 every Thursday. Reporting for the VHS podcast, this is Colberry and Muffy Sullivan. All right. Um, I think it's kind of sad that nobody's joining the GSA. You know, I really hope that like a group of queer students really steps up to revive the club. Yeah, it's a real bummer. No one's doing that. But hopefully soon someone will step up and really take charge. But just because like the GSA is like not really functioning right now doesn't mean that there aren't any other like queer activist things going on at the school right now. You spoke to someone who's doing something very unique um, in terms of LGBT activism. Yeah, so I talked to a senior at school, Ashika, and how she has done activism in creating her own company with the goal of degendering periods. Yeah, all right, let's take a listen. When did you start like your it's like Let's Period Talk or whatever, and why did you start it? Yeah, so Let's Period Talk um, is our motto, and the name of our company and startup is uh, Period Talk. And we originally started back in 2019 for an entrepreneurship competition where I got together with my existing partners and a few others to, to kind of tackle this idea of menstruation that was very new to all of us. Um, originally, we did use vocab words like feminine hygiene products and catered specifically to women. But um, as we finished the uh, entrepreneurial program, we got into other competitions. We started expanding our social media base. We were exposed more to other people um, who don't necessarily identify as women, mm. or they do identify as women but were um, transgender, or just anybody from the LGBTQ plus community. And we realized that what we like the dialogue that we were condoning for feminine hygiene products was very limiting. And because we wanted to really make sure that we had a safe open, welcoming environment, we also decided to include degendering periods as one of our main goals. Mm -hmm. And how do you like go about like degendering periods? Like what is like the language you use or like the things you promote? Yeah, so one of the uh, very first things we did was kind of change how we branded ourselves as a company. So our company colors were originally like along the lines of pink and white. Uh, but now we have more primary colors like yellow, uh, red, blue, green, those sort of colors that aren't necessarily associated with a particular gender. Um, another thing that we did was that with our posts on TikTok and um, Instagram and all, we started making some TikToks that targeted specifically um, LGBTQ plus individuals and brought attention to the problems that they have to face in our society. Um, and then one of the other things that we did was for the product that we are currently working on, um, we want, definitely want to make sure that it has like silent packaging along the lines of um, safe things like that, um, avoid like flowery things or feminine things on the packages, um, just to make it safe for people who may have to change their pad in men's restrooms. Mm -hmm. Because in a lot of places, if you like are heard 
like tearing open a super loud pad in a bathroom, in a male's bathroom, you could be very seriously injured for that. So we really want to make sure that our products are safe for individuals to use anywhere. Mm -hmm. And um, like, how, how do you think um, like the traditional like targeted kind of way that feminine products are targeted towards women um, do like the effect that has on women like um, and do you th- uh, I don't even know what I'm like saying. effect on women or effect yeah. on LGBT yeah, like yeah for like the LGBT um, community like what do you think like do you think there's any like emotional effect on like the um, target targeting towards women and like the experiences of like having like of like having your period without like identifying as a woman yeah so um i've been fortunate enough to have many opportunities to talk to people who have periods and don't necessarily identify as women or as straight or anything um for example my partners and i volunteered at a, a black trans lives matter rally last summer and there we got an opportunity to speak to many people about their experiences with periods and we learned that for them it's like very emotionally stressful for this like simple biological function to be like so targeted towards like one gender and one gender only that it makes them feel excluded it makes them feel like they're in a way unnatural um and that's just like sort of the community that we don't want to con- like support so i think learning about the struggles that people have had has like only motivated us to work harder towards doing like our part of destigmatizing periods. Okay, and so how'd you guys like go in the process of you following? Like w- how how you like you said you targeted on like the LGBT community for, for like your um targeted audience on TikTok. Like what ways did you go about that? Um so it was just uh, a little bit in the content that we posted. Um like a quite a large bit of our um content is either going to be informational about periods for just people for everybody or it'll be talking about um laws or stigma or problems in the world um relating to periods and how it's harmful to our community um and then we also have like a few funny ones thrown in um but basically in terms of like targeting lgbtq people we want to make we don't really do like we make sure that we don't use language like oh when women are on their period these are things mm-hmm. that you should never say to them like i think there are some things that just should not be said to humans in general so we kind of try to take that direction in the way we approach our social media platform uh, and do you think there's anything the school could be do to be more inclusive to um like the students who are like transitioning and like identifying as gender non-binary or like when it comes to those sort of things? I think uh, our high school doesn't have enough gender neutral bathrooms or such. Um, and the community in our school can be a little bit, I don't know if this is, yeah, I yeah. don't know if I'm allowed to say that. We're not gonna say that. Hold on, I wanna see if I can reword this. I think that our <laughs> school could definitely grow as a community um, become more accepting of LGBTQ plus people and kind of promote and kind of like show our support for the community by having gender-neutral gender bathrooms um, and just like making sure that everybody can have access to menstrual products for free if when they need it without feeling ashamed for it in any way. Um, I also think that having some free menstrual products like 
within the bathrooms themselves <laughs> would be a lot more comfortable for people who need to who need to get it to it in a jiffy um, because as of now in our school we have to go all the way down to the nurse's office and our high school is so big that's just very inconvenient and it can also be embarrassing for people to have to like physically talk to somebody that oh I need a menstrual product all right and um yeah and I, I can't think of anything else that was, that was really good <laughs> hey thank you Wow, that's really impressive how she started her own company at such a young age and is also doing activism at the same time. Yeah, I mean, there's only 24 hours in a day and somehow she seems to have more than me, I guess. Yeah, totally. Speaking on terms of degendering and kind of just like transgender activism at BHS, um, Jay spoke to uh, a transgender student and um, a couple of guidance counselors and tech people to talk about uh, name changing and the mechanisms of it. So let's take a listen. Many transgender students choose to change their name assigned at birth to one that more closely relates to their gender identity. Because of this, Massachusetts law requires that schools accept name changes. According to mass.edu, Massachusetts law recognizes common law name changes, nothing more formal than usage is required. Hence, when requested, schools should accurately record a student's chosen name on all records, whether or not the student, parent, or guardian provides the school with a court order formalizing a name change. One student who has gone through this process is Alex Osier, a senior here at BHS. Um, I came out in like ninth grade and I wanted to change my name, but like it was still kind of new. I wasn't really out completely. I think it was like sophomore year when I wanted to. Um, I didn't like actually change it until 11th grade. First I emailed Guidance and he originally told me, I have Mr. Maza, he originally told me that um, I needed to go through my house office. Um, I didn't really do that. I didn't because I just didn't want to go through the whole process. But then COVID hit and then I talked to him again and he changed it for me. So. Um, but I didn't need like parent approval and he had to email my parents, which of course ended with a long conversation with my parents and me like telling them like, nope, this is what's happening type thing. Changing one's name is a very important process for students as it helps create a more welcoming and friendly environment. School is like where you can kind of be yourself and like explore identity. So I want to be comfortable at school, of course, mm -hmm. and it's weird if People calling me a name that's not mine. The process only has a couple of steps to go through before the student's name can be changed. Mr. Maza, a guidance counselor here at BHS, is well familiar with this. So typically when a student wants to change a name, um, you know, they normally reach out to either their counselor or their assistant principal. Typically it's their counselor though. Um, from there, I would normally communicate with their parents to see if they're okay with the name change. And once that happens, it's as simple as us going in, changing the name to whatever name the student decides they want it to be in. But once the name is changed, the effects are seen quickly. My email was changed very quickly and all my teachers know me as Alex. However, many students take issue with required parent permission. I'm not really sure why because that can obviously cause issues for a lot of students. I know a lot of students haven't changed their names for that reason. But unfortunately, there's a concrete reason why parent permission is required. It goes in terms of legality. 
until a student, I believe, is 18 years of age, legally, at least it was my understanding, they can't change the name. In terms of making sure communication's on the same page, I think it's you know, important to do that. The struggles don't stop there. Once students change their name in the school system, they have to complete college applications with their new name. It's been a little difficult with like colleges just because, you know, legal name versus name at school, but thankfully like applications allow you to like put another name you go by. What I typically have students do is if an application or a job asks for their legal name, I have them put their legal name and then communicate if they legally hasn't changed their name yet to whatever they, they did in Aspen, I would say, if it asks you for your legal name, put that, and then communicate with the college, the work, military, whoever it is, that on your transfer, you're gonna see a different name because that's the name I choose to go by, but legally speaking, this is my name. Just to kind of bridge communication, make sure there's no errors going on there. We reached out to the Director of Guidance, Mr. Garofalo, about the rate of students changing their name. According to him, on average, around five to 10 students change their name every year and he expects this number to rise as our society progresses. Moving forward, we hope that BHS can become a more inclusive place for all gender identities. Praying for WAMP TV, this is Jay Brothers. That was somehow a little bit easier than I expected it to be from BHS, but I still don't like how they have to ask their parents for permission to change the name, because like, what if they're not accepted in their own household? Yeah, I feel like that really could put students in an uncomfortable position and they should have the right to have their proper name on like their high school diploma as like because that is a big thing and it is like a legal document they will be using in their future yeah especially considering that school is like a separate place i feel like students should have more control over their environment and what they should be referred to as um it shouldn't have to like leak into the household you have anything else you want to add on this topic no not really that concludes this episode of the BHS podcast. We are currently looking for like literally any new names because like Wompcast is obviously insensitive. Muffy, do you have any suggestions? Not any I can say, no. All right. So that concludes this episode. We're looking for name changes. So if you have any suggestions or ideas, you can email us at braintreehighnews at braintreeschools.org. If you have any other comments or suggestions, you can also email them there. You can follow us on social media at WompTV on Instagram and YouTube. Um, and you can find our podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and probably anywhere else you can find a podcast. Uh, talk soon.